I'm Max Kreitzer, and you're listening to The Story Of. This is the story of the time all my roommates got picked up by immigration. After graduating from KU, I didn't have a clear path in life. I thought getting a film degree would really open up my world, especially since it would be the last graduating class where actual film production was taught. I wouldn't have to worry about any competition coming up behind me. A month before graduation, I panicked about finding a job in film, and my mom found a school that taught computer animation in Boca Raton, Florida. But in order to apply to DMAC, I had to get my guidance counselor to send over my transcript. Apparently, when you enroll in college, you're assigned a guidance counselor. It turns out they email your guidance counselor information to your school-designated email, which I think I checked one time. I walked over to the building where someone told me they visited their guidance counselor once, and I made an appointment. I walked into the meeting and the guidance counselor said that they had bad news. You never took a foreign language class? He asked. They aren't going to let you graduate. Yes, I did, I said. Sort of. Somehow, I had tested into Spanish 3, and during the first class, the teacher and the students only spoke Spanish. I remember the teacher going around the room, asking what we all did for the summer, and asking us to respond, solamente en español. As she made her way down the rows, I got more and more nervous. I could only think of the one Spanish sentence that I had memorized in Spanish class in high school. When it was my turn, I said, Cuando era pequeño, yo comía las cabezas de gatos. The teacher looked at me funny and pressed further in Spanish, but I didn't understand anything. I stood up, I said adios, saluted for some reason, and walked right out to drop the class. I laughed as I recounted the story to my newly found guidance counselor, but he looked worried. Do you understand you can't graduate? He said. Well, I've taken like 21 credit hours each semester. Yeah, he replied. And who's who in cartoon courses in African American history? I'm not sure what degree you were even going for. After about 45 minutes, we decided I could take 18 online hours in the summer and graduate in time to attend DMAC with a BGS in film and try to minor in African American history, which is like the most job-oriented degree you can get IMHO. At the end of the summer, I had finished my final paper which I don't mean to brag, but my online instructor selected in the grading rubric, no further documentation needed, which meant I had just graduated. My brother-in-law, Bo, drove with me down to Florida and we visited DMAC for the first time, where we met with my new guidance counselor. She greeted us at the door. Max, I'm so glad to meet you. My dog is named Max, she said. I get that a lot. Do you get MaxiPad? I swear to God, she asked me. I was named after my grandma. I replied, for whatever reason. Well, come on up, she said. Bo and I got in the elevator to go to the second floor. Three guys, two of whom were in robes, joined us. We got to the second floor, where Bo witnessed two kids reaching their arms up a monster energy drink vending machine, and I witnessed two guys sitting on beanbag chairs playing Smash Brothers. My new guidance counselor walked us into our office. Well, the good news is you are approved for a private loan through, and I don't remember the name, of the company at the time because it's changed 11 times since I got it, but it was something like fuck your life up or something like forever in debt, uh, LLC. But the bad news is, she continued, you still have to take a test to get into the school. Then I remembered a question my mom told me to ask. Is this school accredited? We will be by the time you graduate, she said so confidently that I was like, oh, fuck yes, cool. And texted my mom a pic of me giving a thumbs up. Bo and I probably drank a little too much that night, and I woke up 20 minutes before I was supposed to be in an abandoned mall taking my whatever test. Did you bring a calculator? They asked. Don't need one, I said, trying not to vomit or smell like alcohol. 
I guess I passed or whatever, but at this point I had a pretty huge loan for a pretty sketchy school, so no matter what, I was in. School was hard, especially since I was going for a master's degree in computer animation when my total previous experience was messing around making films with my classmates and buddies. Luckily, I met handsome Yorch, who was a genius from Venezuela. Yorch sat with me all day, every day, and he was patient and kind and helped me understand sine and cosine and how it would help me make my caterpillar who licks a snake's butt animation look more real. In school, I also met Sira and Sarah, who were both from Thailand. They were in the graphic design program, but we all became inseparable. We were together in school all day every day, and we went to Yorch's for lunch, for Cafe Leches. We'd go to his place after school and have Cuba Libres. We hung out every night. For the last six months of school, we were all working on our thesis. I pretty much slept at the school. I wouldn't have survived without them. I remember hours before my thesis presentation, Handsome Yorch was helping me render, and Sira and Sarah were designing and printing everything else I needed to graduate. Finally, unexpectedly, we all graduated. Well, I mean, Sarah and Yorch graduated easily, but Sierra and I were like a 50-50 shot. After graduation, things remained hard. The economy wasn't great, especially in Florida. Handsome Yorch won a visa in the lottery, but Sierra and Sarah couldn't find an employer to sponsor them. I was living with my girlfriend at the time, but something happened to me and I became severely depressed. The depression caught me so off guard, I didn't know it was depression and I thought I was having medical issues. So I went to the doctor. I remember sitting in a tiny room in a cheap part of town when the doctor came in. He was older and looked like he was wearing a bald cap with curly hairs pulled through it, like a doll at five below. So, he said, you say your chest starts hurting around four o'clock every day. Do they line you up at work and shoot you or something? No, I said, I'm not sure what's going on. I mean, I really love work. One of my best friends, Ferris, is my boss, and I love him and Rick, and I even love Rocco the Xerox guy. He's hilarious. I think it's some sort of heart failure or something. How much cocaine do you do? He asked, not looking up from his clipboard. Um, none, I said. So you're having chest pains and panic attacks, but you've never done cocaine? I've barely even seen it. I, I mean, I've used porta potties in Miami, but... I'm gonna draw some blood, he said. Blood doesn't lie. It's better if you just tell me now how much coke you're on. None, I said, turning red. Flushing is a sign of drug use. Okay, I said, turning redder. After a few pokes, the nurse finally found my vein as the doctor left the room. Don't worry, she said. He thinks everyone is on drugs. Whenever I come back from lunch, he always sniffs me and says he smells weed. <laughs> yeah, I had to tell him like seven times I haven't done coke. Then the nurse leaned in as she taped a cotton ball to my arm. I smoke a lot of weed, she whispered, wheeling her cart out. The doctor came back in and told me I was probably coming down off of a high. I don't do coke, I said firmly with my face turning even redder. Okay, he said, throwing his hands in the air like I was the one bringing up too much. I'm prescribing some anti-anxiety medication. I've sent the prescriptions to Walgreens. I don't know, I said. I feel like my mind's always on the edge anyways. I don't want to start any medication that could throw me off. You don't have to get it filled, but the prescription is there if you need it. I didn't fill my prescription. I broke up with my girlfriend, and I lived in a hammock for a few weeks at Handsome Yorch's place. Then when he moved, I moved in with Sierra and Sarah and the rest of the ties in an apartment. There were no rooms left, but Sarah was very sweet, and she put a pull-out couch in the kitchen with a cloth divider. The ties, who were all having trouble finding jobs in the weak economy, decided to enroll in another school to keep their student visa valid. 
They looked up accredited schools on the United States government website and found one in Miami. They spent very little time at home. They would come home around 1 or 2 a.m. with leftovers from restaurants. They had an electric boiler that we would place in the middle of a huge table and we would cook whatever they brought home. We didn't have much. We had no money, no future, but we had food, friends, and a few hours before we had to clock back into work. One morning when I went to work, about 10 minutes into my drive, I got a call from Tan, who was dating Sierra at the time. They took them! They took all of them! Immigration! Please come back, she screamed. I hit the brakes and turned around towards the house speeding, stopping only briefly at Walgreens to pick up my prescription. Tan was in tears, waiting in the parking lot for me. I've never seen someone so frantic. I got her inside and sat her down, and she told me what happened. As soon as you left, they kicked in the door. They had guns and lasers were pointed on all of us. They kept shouting, get down, get down. Sierra was on the stairs in a towel and they stepped on him. They saw your bed and kept shouting, where's the other one? He's American, he's American, we screamed. They made everyone get down and they handcuffed all of us and they took all of them but me. Then they saw my rabbit and they said, we're gonna cook your fucking rabbit and eat him. Where, I asked, where did they take them? They didn't say, Tan said. I ripped open my prescription bag and took a few pills. Let's go find them. We drove around for a few hours. We visited every prison we could find on the internet. We were yelled at, had machine guns pointed at us, spotlights shined in our car, but no answers. It would be days before we finally found out that they were in a detention center 30 minutes away from us. Sarah managed to call me. She sounded quiet and distant. She said I could visit her on Saturday and told me what time to go. There was a huge line to get in, families and kids and grandparents. I finally got inside and saw Sarah. She looked tired. She was sitting at a table. A guard took me over to her and I sat down. I looked around the room and saw some of the other ties, but I didn't see Sierra. They took Sierra, she said. Maximum security. Sarah explained as best she could what was going on. The owner of the school that they were all enrolled in was accused of smuggling drugs in from Mexico. So in the middle of the night, ICE took their school off the approved school list and confiscated the roster of every student who was enrolled. ICE drove buses and vans with tactical teams north up Florida, picking everyone up who was enrolled. They needed students to testify that they had seen the owner selling drugs or smuggling drugs. The problem was none of the students even knew who the owner was. Sira had been chosen to testify in court, so they had taken him to another prison. Did you bring the quarters? Sarah asked. She told me I could bring up to $8 in quarters for the vending machine. Can you get me some food? We think they put drugs in the food they serve us. It makes us sleep all day. I'm trying to stay alert so I don't eat it. I looked around the room and everyone was in slow motion. I got some chicken wings and ramen and brought them back to Sarah. I slid them towards her and she caught my hand and held it. Are we allowed to touch? I asked, worried about getting in trouble. I don't care, Sarah said a tear rolling off her face onto the plastic wrapper of the wings. How do we get you out of here? I asked. Time's up, a guard shouted. Sarah squeezed my hand and lowered her head. As she let go and stood up, I couldn't see her face. I'll come back, Sarah. We'll find Sierra, I promise. I called after her. She shrugged and disappeared into the hallway. I got a call some weeks later from Sierra. The phone was clicking and loud in the background. Our connection was bad but I made out what he said. Max, take care of Tan. 
Tan and I survived as best we could. We covered the rent until I maxed out my credit card. Luckily, Tan's mom came and helped us out. After a few months, all the ties were let out on the condition that they had one-way tickets back to Thailand. When Sarah got home, she wasn't the same. I can't sleep, she said. I'm afraid they'll come again. Well, I'll sleep in your doorway. That way at least they'll trip over me if they try to come in, I said jokingly. Okay, she said right away. So I did. I don't think it helped. Finally, Sierra made it back with the others. We sold all of their belongings and shipped the rest of their stuff in giant crates. I was moving back as well, back to Kansas. With the last $170 I could muster, I rented a U-Haul. Sierra and Sarah helped me load up. As I closed the U-Haul gate, I swallowed hard. I knew it was time for goodbye. I felt guilty. I felt sad. I felt angry and embarrassed. I thought about what had come from all this. What had come from months of jail and thousands of dollars and sleepless nights and PTSD. What had come from parents not knowing where their children were, calling from oceans away, speaking broken English, and repeating their children's names in desperation to uncaring ears. What had come from a bunch of ice assholes driving up Miami, taking them at gunpoint, handcuffing them, treating them like they were violent criminals, treating my friends like they were violent criminals. Nothing. Nothing came from it. And what happened to Tan's rabbit that the ICE officers threatened to shoot and eat? Well, that rabbit joined ISIS because they pushed him too fucking far. I'm not good with apologies or goodbyes. So I locked the U-Haul and turned around. I looked at Sierra. I'm sorry you can't stay, I said. And then I looked at Sarah. I'm sorry this happened to you. Sierra came in for a hug and Sarah joined. Me too, Sarah said. I'm not, Sarah said. I'm done with this shit. I watched them walk back into the apartment in my rearview mirror. That was the last time I saw them. I prayed for their safe return home, and I prayed my credit card had enough of a limit to get me back to Kansas, where I would be illegally moving in with my grandma Max in her retirement community. This episode was brought to you by Foil Blankets for Children. There's nothing better than being wrapped in a foiled blanket right after you've been torn away from your parents. If you're three or four and alone, with not knowing what's going on, not knowing where your parents are, just try to find a, a 12-year-old who doesn't know where their parents are and doesn't know what's going on and see if they can wrap you up so you'll stay warm in your freezing cage on the floor. It's the least we could do. And parents, if you're worried about where they took your babies, where they took your children, just know they are safe in a cage, on a floor with a bunch of strangers, crying unconsolably. Because this is what we wanted. This is who we are now.